Well, hello, I'm Eliza Jones, and for as long as I can remember, people have been telling me that I should turn my wildly detailed dreams into short stories. Just for fun, I like to interpret my dreams, and some of the results are weirdly accurate, outrageous, or funny. With my tongue firmly in cheek, I'll share these dreams and interpretations with you, along with superstitions, astrology, and other paranormal things. Welcome to Wouldn't Dream of It. This week's episode is going to be very personal to me. Some of the events will be from my real life and others will be from a dream I had this week that reminded me. I'll try not to get too heavy, but I hope you'll find me on social media and let me know what you think. This week's episode is called Too Personal for This Pod because it isn't just based on a dream. I'm going to tell you a real life tale from my youth and then the dream that invoked the memory. When I was a little girl, barely old enough to know what wishing was, I wished I could be a princess. I wished on dandelions, birthday candles, and first stars. I wanted so badly to be a princess. Did I really know what it was to be a princess? Definitely not. This was literally years before Lady Diana Spencer became Princess of Wales. I had heard about princesses, but I knew nothing of their lives. None of us did, really. We just had the portrayal that Disney served up along with deceased parents, attempted murder, and true love's kiss. Years later, Diana Spencer was Diana, Princess of Wales, and we thought her life was wonderful. I found myself in a quiet field in an even more quiet town one night, watching for shooting stars to wish upon. We saw them a lot on those nights when we would sneak out of our homes to see each other. I didn't truly realize it, but technically I was homeless. I had been forced out of my home and I was living with relatives. Unbeknownst to me, in a few months, I would be forced out of my relatives' home too. If not for the family of the young man with whom I stood in that field, in a few months, I would be literally homeless. We finally saw the shooting star that we'd been waiting to see. In that dark, dark field, we saw them surprisingly often. And tonight, just like every other night, I made an earnest wish. I held my breath and wished to always be as happy as I was at that moment. The young man asked me what my wish was. Maybe he could tell how fervently I had wished. I don't know. I couldn't tell him my wish, of course, because then it wouldn't come true. So I told him about my millions of wishes as a little girl to be a princess. He said, well, you're my princess. And at that moment, I believe that wishes did come true. I believe that a girl without a home could be happy forever. Although we faced some trials over the next few years, I had the shelter of the young man's family to keep me safe and healthy. Without them, I had no home. And without the affections of the young man, I wouldn't have them. Everything depended upon this young man who had made me a princess. So I married him 
hoping that my wishes had been heard and would make me happy forever. Yet the world was beginning to learn by way of the people's princess that being a princess isn't a fairy tale. She's expected to set to work producing heirs immediately. She has duties that are expected of her whether they match her ideals or not. As she grows and matures emotionally, the crown remains frozen in time. The expectations do not grow with her. So it was that one day I saw an opening, just a tiny crack through which I could escape being a princess, and I did. It wasn't a lack of appreciation for all that my young husband's family had done for me. I was safe, healthy, and relatively happy, but I was in a place where the expectations went one way while my life was dying to go another way. I needed a home, not the one into which I was born. That one was gone forever. Not the one that had been handed to me with the string of my husband attached. I needed a home that belonged to me, a place where I could grow and change. Temporarily, I made a home with my friends. Many years and significantly too many events have passed since then to recount. Many of those events are entire stories of their own. Now I sit in the house I bought myself, mother of two recently grown children of whom I'm abundantly proud. I'm fulfilling a lifelong ambition to create stories of my own. Reading my stories aloud for anyone to hear brings back the bliss that I felt when reading aloud to my children. Where would I be if I'd remained a princess? I don't know, but I'm thankful now that wishes don't seem to come true. My dream started in the same way as my mid-teen years in real life. I had lost my childhood home and family. I had no home. A young man cared for me, and his family took me in and showed me love. I was so lucky to have them. I had one pet with me, Cammie, a real-life conure, who is sitting atop my monitor as I read the story of this dream. Although I was happy to have Cammy with me, I was missing a pet or pets from my childhood home. I was also missing some art or craft supplies from my childhood home. These don't seem like much, but when you've lost everything except yourself and one pet, you may find yourself longing for some very trivial things. Cammy kept escaping, and the neighbor brought her back to me over and over again. The neighbor seemed angry, and I feared that eventually she would harm Cammy or just leave her free. I assured the neighbor that I was doing my best to keep Cammy at home, and I appreciated her help more than she could know. I would put Cammy in the tall, slim, neon green cage that our pseudo family had provided for her while telling her that although the cage wasn't her real home, it wasn't safe for her to wander outside alone. Despite the level-headed advice that I gave to Cammy, I would frequently run away too. I would try to find my childhood home just long enough to retrieve the things that I was missing, but I would only get lost. Every single time, I found myself in the very dark field that I knew from real life, the one with the shooting stars. The young man's parents would find me in an upright fetal position, sobbing in a way that I thought would never end. I was so lucky to have them. Although everyone listening to this already knows the real life story behind this dream, let's interpret it anyway. I can't make jokes about such a serious dream, but I'm sure there'll be something in the interpretation about which I can be snarky. 
If a woman dreams of a man she knows, she may be trying to comprehend her relationship to him. Believe it or not, the story with which I opened this episode has never been more clear to me than it is today. I suppose I've worked out what my relationship was to him and why it ended so suddenly and with such finality. Dreaming of your family may be a way to express feelings about your actual family that wouldn't go over well in real life. In the usual course of life, the psychological struggle of finding oneself takes place while sheltered in the family. But when this does not happen, we can manipulate the images of various family members in our dreams so that we can work through our difficulties without having a real-life confrontation. We can even break down unhealthy patterns that we set in our youth by way of these dreams. I've experienced drastic separation anxiety as an adult, even wrecking relationships by either holding on much too tightly or by refusing to open up and connect. The sheer absence of my family in the dream could expose the root of this issue. I don't think I realized until this week how much I fear the loss of love and stability or how fully I had experienced such losses during my formative years. To all the folks I've loved before, there's your explanation. This isn't getting any funnier. If you're nodding off, I promise to get to more uplifting stuff in just a few minutes. Hang in there, okay? A pet bird in the dream of a woman can represent the spiritual self. The similarity between Kami's excursions outside and my own abscondences was not lost on me. It was as if Kami and I were both seeking our true homes, unaware that in the waking world, we have a happy home. Dreaming of a bird with beautiful plumage, which is a perfect description of Kami, is considered favorable, and dreaming of a flying bird may signify prosperity for the dreamer. If this means emotional or spiritual prosperity, I don't think I've ever had better news. Alternatively, if it means financial prosperity, here I come, Etsy! You're going to need lots of boxes. Dreaming of escaping confinement can mean that you need to escape from a restrictive attitude or to find spiritual freedom. Anxiety or past trauma may prevent you from breaking free from your own restrictions, but dreaming of escape signifies your attempt to escape from emotional wounds sustained in the past. Just escaping from anxiety would be a real plus for me. I worry about every damn thing, and if there's nothing about which to worry, I worry that it's some sort of omen of bad things to come. Yeah, feeling calm for a short time would be nice. Feeling calm most of the time would be inconceivable. The shooting star that was seen in real life was also seen each time I found myself in that field in my dream. In dreams, meteors can be signs of self-realization and growth. A shooting star also may signify wishful thinking that became reality for a short period, much like my wish to become a princess manifested itself for a few years. Finally, a shooting star in a dream can predict a sudden windfall. Maybe I'll have another lucky week like the one years ago when I won about $250 from the lottery, $100 from a radio calling contest, and a trip to the Bahamas. I told you my life is full of stories. Dreams of crying may be caused by your mind helping to balance your emotions while sleeping. Frustrations that would interfere with your life can be worked out during these dreams. Additionally, a dream of crying can mean happy times ahead. 
I think emotional balance and happiness are kind of like congenital twins. They're not exactly alike, but they definitely go together. I started this podcast only a short time ago with the idea of poking fun at dream interpretation. But despite my goofy comments, all of the dream stories I have told and interpreted have been relevant to my waking life. As I mentioned in the last episode, I'm working on healing and improving myself, and I've shared many of the things I'm working on with you in the form of dream interpretations. If I keep this up, I'll have to remove comedy from my secondary category on the podcast hosts. But wait, there's more. Superstitions are standing by. Last week, we talked about superstitions related to things our body does involuntarily, and I think I'll continue those in a later episode. This week, I've been thinking about parts of our body that we remove, dispose of, have removed, shed, etc. So I found tons of superstitions related to those. First, let's talk about blackheads. We all get them, and there are many ways that we use to remove them. I've seen some on Dr. Pimple Popper that were left to their own devices for way too long. Before letting a blackhead reach reality TV size, try finding a bramble bush that forms an arch. On a sunny day, crawl forwards and backwards through the arch three times in the most east to west direction possible. This is supposed to cause blackheads to disappear, but perhaps that's because the scratches will distract people's eyes from the blackheads. Maybe TLC should have a Folk Remedies Gone Bad reality show. Oh, trademark, trademark. (laughs) That's mine. (laughs) Next, have you ever thought about how frequently we lose and or dispose of blood? We get injured, go to the lab to get a blood draw, donate blood. I mean, we should start charging for all of our blood loss. Well, if you're a man in the countryside of Great Britain, and a drop of your blood is taken from your pinky and put in a woman's drink, you'll have a stalker. Oh, 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 oops. (laughs) I mean, she'll fall passionately in love with you. (laughs) Another superstition is that if a person bleeds on Halloween, they will not live long afterward. Somehow I doubt that this means like a paper cut. Rather, I'm picturing an encounter with Michael Myers level of bleeding. Surely no one expects to live long after that. Speaking of Halloween, I have oodles of superstitions waiting for October to begin. If you love spooky season as much as I do, you don't want to miss those. One of the parts of ourselves that we shed, intentionally remove, and leave absolutely everywhere is hair. Naturally, there are plenty of fascinating superstitions that have lived through the ages to be discussed today. For the men, there are superstitions that a hairy chest means the man is physically strong and hairy arms and backs of hands mean that they will be wealthy. For the ladies, it is said that having their hair cut on the increasing or waxing moon will bring them luck, while having it cut on the decreasing, waning moon will cause it to fall and lose its shine. If a bird uses discarded hairs from a lady's hairbrush while building its nest, the lady can expect a headache. I'm thinking maybe a bird used one of my hairs in a nest today. Migraines, am I right? There are a bunch more hairy superstitions, but I don't want to wig you out too much. Ooh, there I go again. 
We're now entering our final week of Astrology University. Next week, we begin picking apart those people born under the sun sign of Libra, as the sun will be in Libra by then. Right now, let's talk about moon signs and ascendants. Moon signs are much more complex than sun signs because of the moon's relative closeness to the earth. The moon is in a different sign every two to three days, so you need a moon chart to find your moon sign. Your moon sign determines your inner self, the parts of you that are instinctive, primitive, and spontaneous. This is the part of your personality that makes you say things you didn't mean to say out loud. It's also the part of you that determines how you respond to your five senses. In cultures where birth charts are used to determine the potential success of a marriage, it is said that one partner's moon sign should match the other's sun sign for the highest chance of a long-lasting relationship. As we know, science has proven that the moon affects the ocean's tides, but ask any OB nurse and they'll tell you that the moon affects fertility and childbirth as well. Law enforcement officers might offer the opinion that the moon has an influence on tensions between people and the incidence of crime. Although much of our knowledge of how the moon affects us on Earth is theoretical at best, sometimes people can learn more about themselves by studying their sun sign and their moon sign to understand how these signs amplify or modify each other. You may remember that I'm a Taurus, ruled and subruled by Venus, which predicts that I'm amorous, passionate, likable, and hard-headed. Hey, who put that last bit in? Oh, right. I wrote this. <laughs> My moon sign is Aquarius, which adds strong intuition, even sometimes perceived as clairvoyance. There's your answer. Everyone I've ever scared with my greater than probability predictions. According to Joanna Woolfolk in the only astrology book you'll ever need, Aquarius moon with earth signs, Taurus, Virgo, and Capricorn, adds to our, quote, practicality, a gift for innovation and original work, which is excellent for performing arts, end quote. Does a podcast count as a performing art? Maybe. Unlike your moon sign, which is more of your hidden personality, your ascendant, also known as your rising sign, blends with your sun sign to make you the person that other people see. This powerful piece of your astrological chart may be responsible if you seem very different from the description of your sun sign. Your ascendant is even more complicated to determine than your moon sign because it is the sign that was rising on the eastern horizon at the exact minute that your birth occurred. This sign has a profound effect on you because it was passing the horizon at the exact moment that you passed from dependent life to independent life. I won't go into the very complex method that astrologers use to determine your ascendant because I don't understand it myself. Suffice it to say that Joanna Woolfolk provides a simplified ascendant chart. From this, I learned that my ascendant is Aquarius, just like my moon sign. Aquarius rising makes me extremely observant, wickedly funny, sarcastic, and very set in my ways. No, of course set in my ways and hard-headed aren't the same thing. Why would you ask that? <laughs> Aquarius rising also adds both an artistic and a scientific turn of mind that may result in more than one type of work at the same time. Putting together all of the pieces, sun sign, decanates, cusps, moon sign, and ascendant, does seem to give me a more accurate picture of myself. 
I wonder what an actual astrologer would find on my natal chart. Well, anyway, school's out. <laughs> yeah. We finished with astrology university. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's now time for some uplifting news from Upworthy.com, where they provide plenty of positivity for your reading pleasure. This week's Upworthy story is called Mom's Real World Budgeting Lesson Goes Viral After It Leaves Her Kids Feeling Overwhelmed. Be sure to see the show notes for a link to the full story. The story goes like this. To help her children understand the finite nature of money and how much things cost in the real world, a mom sat her children down with budget worksheets and an imaginary budget of $3,000, which is the equivalent of a $15 an hour minimum wage job plus $500. She explained how much rent was likely to cost them and the fact that they have to allow for paying first and last month's rent when they first acquire an apartment. The kids didn't know what to think of this concept. Mom then had them research the cost of utilities. This spawned a conversation about the amount of electricity a family uses when they have all of the lights on. I guess those kids might think twice about flipping switches in the future. The topic of their food budget had one kid saying they'd eat takeout every day. Once they looked at the numbers, they started to plan what meals they'd skip to make sure the money could cover the budget. First, they were planning to eat a big breakfast so they could skip lunch. Then they realized they'd be skipping breakfast, too. That kid would be a skinny and hangry adult if they were budgeting in the real world. Toward the end of the exercise, one of the kids realizes that after cutting back everything in their budget, including riding a bike instead of driving a car, they're still out of money. Thankfully, these kids have some time before they have to worry about making ends meet but let's hope the exercise has helped them become better prepared for adulthood. That's our show for this week. Thanks so much for listening. Remember to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Wouldn't Dream of It, and on TikTok at Wouldn't Dream of It Podcast. Join our Facebook group, also called Wouldn't Dream of It, to talk about the show, my dreams, your dreams, or other fun topics. Share your dreams with me by email at woodendreamofit at gmail.com. Remember, that's wouldn't without the apostrophe. Wooden Dream of It is created and written by me, Eliza Jones. Editorial support from Lapis Hale. Original song, Dreams and Nightmares by Twisted. That's Twisted with a Y. Find them on Facebook as Twisted Twisted both with a Y instead of the I. Be sure to check out our show notes for a complete list of our sources and for links to our social media and also to Twisted.